In the early days of the internet, radical libertarians were scattered, lonely, and faceless. Without direction, they resigned to scour the web, sifting through content providers in a wasteland plagued by YouTube demonetization, Facebook jail, and covert internet censorship. But then, in 2017, the Libertarian Union was formed. Finally, the average Joe Libertarian could find a thriving community of independent podcasters and content providers, all in one convenient location. At Libertarian Union, we'll always have the latest news, interviews, discussions, and even movie reviews. With hundreds of episodes and more added all the time, you'll always find something fresh at libertarianunion.com. Hey everyone, it's Daniel and Robert, The Last Nighters, and we are going to entertain you, if that's not why you are here, on episode 31 of the show. You can find the show notes and more at lastnighters.com slash 31. We're going to do Gladiator. And speaking of Gladiators, how you doing, Robert? Mm, yes. Feeling good, sir. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great, grand, wonderful. Get on the bus. All right, here is the Google description. Gladiator came out the year 2000. Two hours and 51 minutes, so it's got some length to it. Eight and a half on the IMDb, 77% Rotten Tomatoes, 67% Metacritic, and yet 93% of Google users like it. The interesting thing about the critics, the, the Metacritic being relatively low, is this won Best Picture, Best Actor, and several other awards. So uh, I, I guess the uh, critics were a little off base on this one. But here is the description. Set in Roman times, the story of a once powerful general forced to become a common gladiator. The emperor's son is enraged when he is passed over as heir in favor of his father's favorite general. He kills his father and arranges the murder of the general's family. And the general is sold into slavery to be trained as a gladiator. But his subsequent popularity in the arena threatens the throne. Came out May 5th, 2000. Director Ridley Scott won Academy Awards, as I said a moment ago, starring Russell Crowe and Joaquin Phoenix, among others. What say you, sir, about the description so far? Well, it's accurate. Tells you a lot about the movie. This is Russell Crowe at essentially the height of his powers. And this is Joaquin Phoenix doing his creepiest Joaquin Phoenix impression. Uh, this is him at his most just syncophanic type. I don't know if that's, the, that's not the right word. But just a, a very damaged individual. It's, 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 he's a lot of fun to watch in this movie. But um, yeah, He took that yeah, creep, it's a, creep factor to 11 for sure on this. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's, a whole, there's the whole incest angle. There's the whole threatening... The, the woman who's your sister who you were trying to have sex with with murdering his child. He does all kinds of fun stuff. It's 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 interesting. I did watch I don't know if I watched the original like you know DVD bonus features and they had historians talking about the real Commodus. And apparently the real Commodus, I don't know if he was a creepy, incestuous weirdo guy, but he did actually fight people in the in the gladiator's pit and he was quite famous for doing that so that's not that part isn't too outrageous i i don't think he was murdered or you know fought to the death in a gladiator's fight but um you know and i think this is fairly well known but the way it's depicted the fights in this movie they are ramped up significantly from reality most often like one gladiator would fight another gladiator to first blood not to the death and deaths were actually quite rare because you know human beings are fairly expensive even if you do i mean they did feed you know like christians to the lions and that sort of thing but a, a well-trained you know honed gladiator could actually command you know an audience was actually a fairly valuable commodity and they didn't just want to throw those people away but it's still good movie had a lot of fun even re-watching it now like a third or fourth time probably yeah now did you notice any difference in having seen it some you know 15 odd years ago to probably a few years ago and then to now with your intellectual journey well you mean with the intellectual journey yeah i mean the the thing stuck out of me the, that stuck out at me um you know marcus aurelius he plays this kind of strange character who doesn't really match his actions he seems to be this why they, they keep talking about him being this wise you know philosopher king guy wizard dumbledore yeah dumbledore anyway so dumbledore is commanding the legions, or at least he's, you know, there at the front where they're fighting these Germanic hordes. 
and they're pacifying, you know, the Germanic tribes. And, you know, he says in the very beginning opening statement, it's like one last Germanic stronghold needed to fall before the promise of peace throughout the empire. And this is, we talked about this in our um, hero episode with Jet Li. Oh, yeah. Always one what? one victory away from peace. One right. murder and away it, from perfection. Right. This is just, you know, that's the communist dream. It's the socialist dream. It's the dream of all tyrants of all time everywhere. Always. It's just always one more death away from utopia. It's this dream of conquering the world and then there will be peace. Well, and then as all tyrants always find out, people don't much like being ruled and being tyrannized. So the price of empire is rebellion and resistance and they get to call it you know terrorism or trade you know treason or any number of words that they come up with well you know treason is now talking to people who are from another country indeed i mean per, that's right per, per the, the news feeds the, the definition keeps getting more and more broad but yeah this is the dream of all tyrants of all time everywhere always of you know once you once you kill enough people once you conquer enough people then you'll have this kind of pax romana you know, Roman peace that settles in and we'll just have one world order and then the world will be all one and we'll have no more reason to ever fight a war ever because everybody agrees that this one guy can rule us all better than we can all rule ourselves. Yeah, right. This this fatal conceit that that you know best for everybody else on the planet. It's ridiculous this vexes me it vexes me i'm seriously vexed are you vexed it's it vexes me too how could anybody be this stupid i'm asking you daniel how could anybody be this stupid well i mean you would think after one more victory in a 12 years war for peace that everything would be fine and and people should know when they're conquered uh strength and honor and all that so right you know and then aurelius you know and then he kind of has a a moment where he's talking to maximus and and he's like having this philosophical, you know, crisis sort of thing. And he's like, well, what what are people going to think of me after I've died? Was I, you know, the butcher or was I the just or was I, who was I? The wise? You know, what were we killing all these people for? The glory of Rome? What is Rome? Well, that was Crow's answer. The, the glory of right. Rome. And uh, glory Dumb- of Rome. Dumbledore's like, well, there's always someone left to fight. There's always a new enemy. Which he's right. I mean, well, there's always the ability to manufacture an enemy that you can use to instill fear in the populace and say, you need me to protect you from this threat. That's right. You have to have enemies or else what do we what do we need all this army for? Right. Yeah. We talked about this on the Mission Impossible when uh, the uh, John Voight character was basically, hey, the Cold War's over. We're dinosaurs. So we got to come up with a reason to still exist. Right. Got to manufacture an enemy if we don't actually have one. Yeah, so the the main debate in this film, really, is between Maximus, who agreed with Aurelius that the Roman Empire should return to being a republic, whereas Commodus thinks that he should be the emperor and it should remain, all the power should remain in the emperor's hands. Now, I got to tell you, Commodus does have some, he makes some pretty good points. A little bit later. Let's hear this. Let's hear Daniel's agreements with Commodus. I want to hear it. I will agree with you that Commodus is a snake, a sea snake even, uh, and skilled with a blade, but he's not a moral man. And his dad even says he must not rule uh, because he's a fucking schemer. You know, he has none of the positive virtues, just ambition and the courage to do evil things to fulfill his ambitions. And it's one of the Hayekian observations of why the worst rise to the top. And he's very much an ends justify the means type person. But right. But he, but he does make the point that when you're comparing an empire versus republic, you've got these senators who flatter and deceive and scheme and work for their own individual interests at the expense of the people who they supposedly represent. And they live far better than them as a result. That his argument is that's superfluous. And we must save Rome from the politicians. And in a way, he's kind of right in the diagnosis that, yes, the senators are in it for themselves. And they are generally terrible. <laughs> but his solution is to become an authoritarian dictator. Right. So his solution is not like, great. Right. No, it's it's a douche, giant doucher, uh, turd sandwich situation. It's like you guys are giant, giant douches. And the solution is turd sandwich. It's not not a huge improvement. It's slightly better in that he has a vested interest in the outcome of long-term effects 
Whereas the senators maybe only serving for a certain amount of time, they're there to loot and get out. And yeah, his criticisms are probably valid. I'd agree with you there. He did want to have an heir, granted incestually, of pure blood. And by pure, I think he meant within the family. Um, yes. But his, his argument was, I want this heir and progeny to be able to rule for a thousand years. So he did have a long uh, time horizon that he was looking at. But he didn't seem to behave in a manner of caretaking the kingdom other than the bread and circuses of just keeping the masses the mob entertained and they literally did throw bread at people in the uh, in yes the they Coliseum. did there was literally bread and circus so anyway um i didn't mean to derail you but but that was my my point about commodus was that he is kind of right that even the senate is is a shit option uh but well, his yeah, solution's not but it's, any better. it's two people, two shitty people pointing at each other, calling each other shitty. I mean, it's not like anyone's in the right. I mean, they're right, but they're not in the right. Let's talk about Dumbledore and wanting it to be Maximus, who would be the steward of power until the people were ready to re- have power restored unto them or whatever it was he said. By, ex- by some weird, you know, representation type arrangement the republic right right? so there's really no true representation there's just the illusion of representation but yeah let's talk about that why because he he is looking for somebody who doesn't want the power he appoints maximus and maximus is like oh hell no that's the last thing i want i want to go home you need to reward me for slaughtering all these german people by letting me go home and marcus aurelius is like nah gotcha bitch you're gonna be the ruler because you don't want it. And that's what it must be. It, it takes somebody who doesn't want the power to wield it to be a good ruler. And I would argue that doesn't matter if the person wielding the power is moral or not. Aurelius's argument seems to be that Commodus would be a bad ruler because he's immoral. Whereas Maximus would be a good ruler because he's moral. He fails to see the, the act of ruling at all is immoral regardless of the nature of the ruler. He seems to think, which deservedly so, I mean, he, you're not going to get an emperor who says, my position is invalid and immoral. But he's, he's a firm believer in the justness of, you know, the emperor class. He thinks it's a perfectly legitimate position to have. And you just need the right guy sitting in the chair and then everything's going to be cool. Well, what's his and plan? I would say, good luck with that, dude. Was All it? of human history says otherwise. All right. At my signal, unleash hell. But he wasn't saying to dissolve the emperorship, right? He was just saying to, to basically have a, uh, an arrangement similar to the British arrangement of present times where the, the royal family is just more of a showpiece and the parliament is really the one making the laws and enforcing the laws and with the boot on the neck. Really? You think that? It Maybe. I was thinking more along the lines of Maximus would have the power until he could transfer it to the Senate. And then that would be it. Then he could leave and go home. So so that would abdicate and remove the entire like notion of having an emperor? Yeah. Well, you know, it didn't exist before Caesar. Before Caesar, it was a republic. And then Caesar declared himself Caesar. And then they had an emperor. Okay. So he's talking about going back to being a republic and just dissolving the class of emperor. All right. Well, well noted. And I think that your criticisms are correct, though the definitions or the definition of it, and I don't mean like dictionary definition, but I mean like the nuances, the differences. There are degrees of goodness and badness, and there are preferences. I would rather live under a, if I'm going to have a rule, I'd rather they be moral rather than immoral. You'd rather have a goody two-shoes, a busybody who's trying to do good? Versus a brutal isn't there dictator? A quote, isn't there a quote from somebody who's like, the worst offenses are the goody two-shoes moral busybodies who go around trying to control everybody's life because they think they're doing good? Right. But just because somebody's moral doesn't mean they're going to go around being a busybody. Are you talking like you're thinking Maximus is like a Ron Paul type? There you go. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> There's no way Maximus is the Ron Paul. Maximus believes in the Republic, in the glory of Rome, slaughtering German people for the glory of an idea as a shining beacon to the rest of the world. He believes in empire as a matter of course, because you're doing people a favor by slaughtering them. Strength and honor. Right. All right, so let's talk a bit more about the dynamic between Aurelius, Dumbledore, and Commodus, Joaquin. Because it seems as if the father was a, ter- was a terrible father to Commodus, and it really caused a rift in their relationship. 
and some psychological trauma and damage. Now, I'm not excusing Commodus' behavior, but what I'm saying is that his father did him no favors in withholding like affection and approval and in like teaching him how to be a better man, a better person. I, I feel like Aurelius was derelict in his duty to his own family. And yeah, I'd also yeah. add that well, he was, I like to this, say, oh, hold on, let me to say you're right. I mean, he was he was absent. He was at the front fighting wars during Commodus's formative years. Right. Right. Uh, OK, so go ahead. I'm going to put my David Spade hat on for a moment uh, because I am growing my hair out and I almost have a mullet and I'm going to be Joe Dirt for Halloween. But it's not almost. It's, folks. it's pretty much there. It's not almost. <laughs> it's great. Uh, but I will say this. Back when Spade was on SNL doing his movie reviews, and he said, I liked it better the first time when it was called X. So this movie I liked better the first time when it was called Billy Madison. Are you kidding me? <laughs> the same dynamic Commodus is almost at is play. Billy Madison. <laughs> There's no scene in Gladiator where they're sitting around a pool and they're like, what time is it? And he says, October. What day is it? Nudie Magazine Day. Yeah, October. But yeah, yeah. yeah. But but this, the dynamic of the father being uh, spoiling the kid but not having an appropriate amount of attention paid to the kid is what I'm keying in on here. Okay, okay, the absentee father. Right, because he wanted his father's attention and his affection, and the only way to get attention was to behave like a dickbag and get negative attention. And it was this was a difficult scene because as he's saying this to his dad, he's like, your fault as a son is my failure as a father, and then Commodus snuffs him out. <laughs> like He shows him just how bad uh, his faults were or his failure was. Yes. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with that. He he he's a terrible father, but we don't get to see that. All we get to see are you know what people say about it, and he admits it himself. And we know that he was out fighting wars while Commodus is growing up. I mean, we assume Commodus is like you know early twenties. I mean, I'm sure Joaquin Phoenix was older when he played the part, but I think we're assuming that he's like a young man. And so yeah, he's a piece of shit. But it, I don't think it, yeah, you're right. It doesn't excuse Commodus's behavior just because you you know don't raise a child properly. That doesn't give him the right to murder you. I, I will mean, agree. I wouldn't... Circle gets the square on that one. Okay. All right. Good. Here we are just agreeing with each other. That's what we do here on the show. All right. So let's That's talk right, a little bit about Commodus's decision after killing his dad to basically say to Maximus, hey, kiss the ring or I'm going to murder you. <laughs> yeah. It's an open threat. I think you know Maximus knew immediately that he had to shore up power. It was a critical situation. You know, not he was the only one who knew that Aurelius picked him to be the successor. Well, and, and, and the daughter, the daughter knew, right? Well, the daughter probably suspected, but she didn't openly know and she wasn't going to challenge Commodus. But Commodus immediately steps up to shore up power. And if he's got a rival to the throne, which is, you know, throughout history, you know, fratricide is rife among, you know, royal families and that sort of thing. There's always tales of like, you know, firstborn sons murdering all his brothers. <laughs> that's a that's a frequent thing throughout history. So, yeah, Commodus's behavior there is n completely not surprising. But um, I thought Maximus was being a little bit naive there. You know, I mean, here he is essentially the crown prince versus Maximus, like the leader of the army. But when it comes down to it, who are people really going to follow? They believe in the state. I mean, although Roman history is interesting because, you know, we're talking about Julius Caesar, who led his armies crossing the Rubicon into Rome because he had the loyalty of his army. And that was what allowed him to, you know, claim the emperorship because he, you know, essentially threatened everybody in Rome that either I'm going to be emperor or I'm just going to kill you all. So it's, it's yeah, it is interesting that there were often times throughout Roman history where the generals who led the, the legions commanded, you know, probably more loyalty than, you know, some politician in Rome yeah, over those those people. Seemed to be the situation here. Right. Uh, because the army was a big fan of Maximus. And then even when we get the first entrance of um, Commodus into Rome, the people are yelling at him like, boo, you suck, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But then he goes on to give him bread and circus, Daniel. 150 and days. And everybody loves him. Everybody loves him. You know, I did have and, a question for you, know, you before we get into that part. Go um, ahead. So Maximus okay. staves off execution, fights his way out of that, and then he rides nonstop. You can't keep a good Russell Crowe down. No, you can't. You can't. But he rides nonstop back to Spain, and he gets there yes. just in time to, to find you know, the, the corpses of his family. And in watching that, I'm like, well, if he went there as quickly as possible, how did, how did the, his family get murdered before he got there? You're asking me, well, because, you know, there's talk. You know, people, it was 
the murders weren't carried out by the same people in his army. They're carried out, I'm sure, by other Roman soldiers elsewhere that were given an order. Right, so like pigeons sending communications or perhaps boats and things like that. Yeah, you know, other horses. I mean, he's riding one horse, but, you know, as long as you can send word back to Rome, I, I don't I don't know exactly clear on how, how information traveled, but I'm sure it traveled faster than one guy riding one horse. But did that, did that, um, that little discrepancy you thought, did that kind of bother you? It stood out, but, but it, it sort of makes sense that, that word could travel faster than, than a person, especially if, if you're talking about on the water or if they had other means of transmitting just notes. You know, like in um, Game of Thrones, they're always sending messages via... Robins. Yeah, the Ravens. Or signal fires, Daniel, signal fires. Yeah, yep, there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure. I, I, I didn't, it didn't bother me. I figured that there was just some kind of, you know, Roman Pony Express or something like that. Maybe pigeons or ravens or any number of things that could carry messages. Yeah, the the Roman uh, U.S. The Roman postmail post office. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm sure. It was a, I'm sure it was a thing. I, I I I don't know if I'm remembering, misremembering, or whatever. But I think that they had like a like a post office sort of thing. Like they delivered the mail, and that was like a you know. It's like well, you know, they're brutally repressing us, but you know, they keep the mail delivered on time. Well, that's good. And the roads, the Roman roads, and they got the Roman roads and the aqueducts. So, although the aqueducts weren't for everybody, it was mainly for people in Rome, but, you know. Yeah. And and they were made out of, you know, lead pipes, so everybody went crazy. But, you know, that's the way it goes. Yeah. Now, was that perhaps contributing to Commodus' uh, situation? He he did seem to be a bit on the uh, mental illness side of things here. Yeah, they seem to take in some, some bits from other emperors, you know, famously Nero danced while Rome burned. And I think Nero is the one that also appointed his horse general. Was it Nero or was it somebody else? I think it was Nero. I could be wrong. But I know some emperor appointed his horse as leader of his army. <laughs> so, you know, it's a thing. People do it. Well, I, I saw lead, that. A, lead, a, can, uh, lead can mess you up, dude. A dog became mayor somewhere. Yeah, but in defense of that town, I mean, he does a better job than any human. And there's a tree that owns itself. And the great uh, Glenn Jacobs just became a mayor. Not that he's like a dog or a tree, but that's... Well, Is he better than a dog or a tree? He's a Rothbardian, uh, Austrian economist type person. So yeah, I think that's probably better. Better than a dog as mayor. Well, I mean, a dog is pretty much the ideal mayor. So if Glenn Jacobs, Kane from WWE is better than a dog, I mean, he's like probably the best mayor ever. Would Kane get your slippers? You know, I don't know. Chew him up. Would he, wag, him. would he wag his tail and, you know, want some pets? Sit on your lap? He would crush me to I'd, death. I don't know if I'd want him sitting on my lap. <laughs> no, he's a big man. He's, he's a big guy. He could body slam you with one arm. All right, so let's talk about queer giraffes. Finally. How many episodes have we done and we're finally getting to the queer giraffes? We're 31. This is 31. Mm, so good. Took us 31 episodes to get to the queer giraffes. Proximo, who was played by Oliver Reed, and this is his final performance. And the interesting note here is he actually died before completing his performance. So they had a body double and significant digital work to finish his performance that cost mm. upwards of $3 million for about mm. 15 seconds of screen time, mm. which seems outrageous. But if you think about it, you know, 2000 and this film was was well noted for its great use of digital effects at the time and, and very expensive. Um, but it looks very dated now. Yeah. And there's a lot of compositing. Especially in the um, the gladiator fight where there's all those lions being released, the tigers. There's a fair amount. Oh, yeah, that's right, the tigers. Yeah, yeah. They they don't look. It doesn't look nearly as good as it once did. Those 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 tigers do not look like they're in the same space as Russell Crowe. But you know, yeah. The thing. Hey, that, it was 2000. It's 18 years ago. Right, and back in 2000, we were like, "This is the future, man." Y2K. We've survived. We did it. We did it, everybody. The world was supposed to blow up, but it didn't. Yeah. But, you know, it seemed at the time that, like, technology was fairly well advanced. But looking back, so, you're so like, Daniel, you know, very, you're, you're in the uh, very basic. Yeah, it is. It's, it's fairly basic now. And I hopefully the, the technology today will look basic to the eyes of 18 years from now. Because I'm all about progress, Daniel. Capitalism, baby. Incentives. Anyway, so so you're in the you're in the market for some giraffes, right? And yeah, I've got some. Buy some. I've got some giraffes. Do you want to buy these giraffes? Of your own free will, your own accord, you're making the free decision to buy these giraffes. You can inspect them all on your own, and then you decide whether you want to buy them or not. I'm just offering them up for sale. So I don't want to hear about it when you buy them, and a couple months later, you grab me by the balls and say that I sold you queer giraffes, all right? 
All right. So my rebuttal to that, you make a fair point. But if Good. you, the seller, misrepresented the giraffes as male and female for mating purposes, and I whoa, whoa, whoa. want them for mating. Whoa. And you say, what are yep, you talking about? I got a male and a female here. I'm selling to you. Yeah. If you fraudulently. That wasn't what your complaint was. That wasn't your complaint. You're free to inspect their sex organs. And that wasn't even Proximo's complaint. His complaint was that they are queer giraffes. Yeah, he said that they won't mate. Right. Which seems odd to say that they would be queer with no mating. Not Well, okay, let me rephrase this a little bit. My understanding is that they would still perform similar behaviors for gratification, not for mating purposes. Do you see what okay, I'm Okay, here's, here's, here's how I understand the situation. Sorry to interrupt you, but I'm not sorry. This is so important. He, this is, this is he, like the <laughs> integral part of the show. This here. is the crux of this movie, okay? This one off scene that takes it's like 20 seconds long. There's ball grabbing and, and queer giraffes. It's, it's very important. It's vital. That's right. So there, he sold them a male and a female giraffe, but they are queer giraffes who prefer the company of their similar sexed giraffes, right? So they've got a male and a female giraffe, but just who aren't into each other. That's how I understand the situation to be. Are you understanding the same situation or do you have a different situation in mind? Oh, yeah. See, I thought that his complaint was he intended to buy a male and female to create offspring. So he wanted them for mating for breeding purposes. Right. And that he was led to believe that he was sold a male and a female. Okay. But in fact, he got two males. Okay. If if whatever his name was, slave guy, was purporting to say, yeah, I've got a male and a female. Okay. I'll sell you a male and a female. I guarantee you that they're male and a female and then sold them to males or two females. Then I think Proximo probably has a legitimate beef. But but with my understanding, I don't think he has a legitimate beef. The idea that you're guaranteed two giraffes who want to bone each other is, is fairly ridiculous. It's not like it's not like the slave guy can go, oh, yeah, I got these two horny giraffes and they're totally horny for each other. <laughs> And then they're just going to be making all kinds of draft babies. Right. And guaranteed, dude. Guaranteed. I don't think so. I think he's like, I got a male and I got a female. Here you go. And then Proximo's like, yo, these, these two giraffes aren't horny for each other. They're not, they're not boning. They're just walking around, eating my food, and shitting all over the place. They're not, they're not doing any sex times. All right. You so sold me some queer giraffes. We have overspent our time on this. But I just want to reiterate that <laughs> The Last Nighters is part of the uh, Launchpad Media we're, we're always throwing new ideas in your direction. And I bet you didn't think this deep about queer giraffes until just now. So do check us out at thelaunchpadmedia.com. <laughs> this is the level of anal analysis and insight that you'll only get here at The Last Nighters. It's books, learning, and philosophy. That's right, baby. All right, let, moving on, moving on. So Proximo does this thing with giraffes, and he gets a better deal on slaves. And Maximus has been taken from his home as a slave because he had given up on life and somebody found him there. They helped him recover from injury and let the maggots eat the uh, infection away. And then they trained him to be a gladiator. Man, I love I love capitalism. When I saw that maggot arm thing, I was like, you know, I mean, I know it seems barbaric these days with what they do if you're listening to this in the future. But just think of the advancements in technology that we've had due to the proper incentives to not have to put maggots on your arm. Now, is that anyway. similar to bleeding with leeches or is sort of a different thing? Because this was, there was obviously an infection as a result of this injury that had gone untreated and uncleaned. So it was festering and the maggots were eating away the rotted flesh. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the, what they do. I think it's a better solution than the leeches which is when they would believe that you just had a case of bad blood. Like when people went crazy or they were depressed or, you know, any number of like mental anguishes, they would bleed you because they thought that you had, you know, bad blood, which is like the most ambiguous term of all time. Now, was, was Roman also the um, four humors, like the bile and the blood and two others that they needed? Yeah, to that was harmony? started in the Greeks, right? So I think that, you know, the Romans took a lot from the Greeks and were not a lot, not a whole lot removed from them, so they probably did. All right. Well, that that works for me. All right, so we're, okay. we're actually running a little bit low on time already, and I have so much more to talk about. Okay, let's let's do this rapid-fire style. All right, so a little bit more about Commodus and, and, and the Senate, like the two shit-burger options between the ruling methods. Mm -hmm. So the Senate says they are the people and selected from the people and speak for the people. And as I said yeah. earlier, Commodus correctly calls them out on eating better than the people and having better mistresses and basically living off the fat of the system, exploiting people. And he argues back that he will treat the people with love and he's their father. 
and they are his children. And an empire needs an emperor. And he won't dissolve the Senate just yet because he needs to leave the people with their illusions. And then he gets right. the idea of the games because people love victories and war and the greatness of Rome and the greatness of a vision. That reminded me of um, Obama's campaign back in uh, 2008, Hope, Hope and Change, you know, the greatness of the vision. Sure. I think this is the, the classic case of the tyrants using those, you know, immutable desires of human beings to be part of a greater thing, to be part of something good, to believe in, you know, that we're, uh, this tribe is really good and strong. And, you know, all those, those positive kind of tribalistic type of things and just exploiting them for their own purposes. Yeah. So he's got the 150 days of games to honor the guy who shut down the games. So that's kind of weird. But anyway, go ahead. No, no, that's right. And now, ultimately, it's, it's all his actions are completely self-serving. I mean, he was he was throwing those games. I mean, yeah, those people were entertained at the expense of these people who, you know, they were murdering because these people are not fighting voluntarily. These people are all being forced to kill each other. And he's just reaping the benefits, you know, of the opinion polls and the whatnots. Because ultimately, it's like, you know, rulers realize how precarious their situation is. Hopefully, you know, that they are vastly outnumbered to the number of people who they rule over and they're tyrannize and that at any time you know the mob can turn against you and rome is the mob and rome is the mob yeah and as we discussed on the uh, hunger games our last episode the act of defiance of them taking the poison in the first movie or saying they were going to take the poison was an act of defiance to snow and we talked about the fragility of how that one act could spur a revolution similar here in gladiator where russell crowe you know he denies the uh the high five initially and that's what gets his yep. family killed. <laughs> right. And it leaves him hanging. And thus, Commodus leaves his family hanging. Ooh, bad, bad joke. Uh, ouch. Ouch. Too soon. Painful. Too soon, Daniel. 2,000 years. Too soon. Still too soon. But, uh, and then and then he spites him with um, killing the retired, or not killing the uh, retired gladiator who he defeats in the tiger fight. The Tigress of Gaul. Where right. He defies, defies the emperor, and he becomes more popular than Commodus. And every all the kids want to be him. Right, and that's another reflection of how an act of defiance can create a more tenuous situation for the for the supreme leader. Right, someone's not going according to script. You go off script. We gotta we gotta cut you out, and that's constantly seen throughout human history. When someone doesn't play along, they uh, you know they often end up at the end of uh, an assassin's bullet. But but Maximus is a true believer, and he's willing to die. I mean, he, the whole movie, he's just got one more person to kill. And if I'm him, I'm with him 100%. I know Commodus didn't actually physically kill my family himself. He ordered some other people to do it. And those other people bear moral culpability. But if I'm Maximus, I'm, I'm, I'm killing Commodus. What are you doing? Are you killing him? Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. Okay. And, Good. and speaking of uh, the moral culpability on the part of the people carrying out the actions, not questioning the orders, you know, just doing my job, ma'am. Just following just doing orders. Doing your job. Nuremberg defense, baby. That also applies to, you know, after this uh, merciful act, not killing the Tigris of Gaul, Caesar comes down, has the Roman guard around Maximus and like says, you know, shit to like goad Maximus into attacking him. It's like your mm -hmm. son squealed, your wife moaned when we ravaged her. And Commodus is there admitting, like in uh, Three Billboards, where the guy's at the bar talking about all the shit he did yeah. and raping. There's all these guys standing around hearing him admit to doing these horrific acts. And yet they still do their jobs. It's like it's not even like under a veil of service or nationalism or pride or anything like that. I mean, he's literally saying, I murdered your son. I ordered your you know, wife raped and, and murdered. And these guys yeah. are all just sitting there. Oh, OK. Oh, is that what we're doing now? Oh, OK. Yeah, I'm down. No problem. Yeah, so I mean, it's so obvious, and in such an admission of of the evil, I don't know how they can continue to delude themselves to to keep serving him. Yeah, I don't know what they tell you. They tell themselves to sleep at night that they're good people doing good things. Probably something about patriotism and nationalism and the glory of Rome, and how good you know how amazing Rome is and how important it is for the rest of the world as a shining beacon of hope. Probably something along those lines. But you know, you know, hope hope sometimes requires you know women to get raped and murdered. I guess. That's how, that's how, that's what it takes. And children to be murdered, you know, just a couple of dead kids, whatever. I don't know. You tell me, buddy. Am I not merciful, Robert? Am I not merciful? Yeah, uh, you know, as long as you're going to murder your sister's son, right? Wasn't that the, the threat? 
If she so much as looks at him in a displeasing manner that displeases him. <laughs> yeah. Now, did that in the story, like that that whole interaction of threatening the son, that was uh, her squealing on the plan, right? Of yes. releasing Commodus and leading the army back in. Releasing Maximus. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was her squealing because you know he threatened the son. And she was just being a mama and protecting her child. And, you know, if Maximus has to die, Maximus has got to die. I'm sorry. I'm picking my son every time. And I can't really blame her. Yeah, it is a tough choice, though, because she subjects herself to and others to untold horrors going forward as a result of this decision. And absolutely. Yeah, she might not know this at the time of making this decision. But Max or uh, Commodus says to her, if you try to be a hero or displease me in any way, I'll kill you or kill your son. And if you yeah, if you kill yourself, I'll kill your son. Yeah. Yeah. If you, <laughs> that's pretty rough. Right. And which is really just a way of saying, okay, do your best job to assassinate me because I'm just a complete horrific piece of shit that you would never in a million years want to live with. I mean, if I'm if I'm her at that point, I'm just plotting out every assassination plan I could possibly do. Because why why would you ever? Why would you ever think that it would be okay to live with a person like that? If someone came up to me and told me that, I would feel completely justified in murdering him any way I could. Threatening my child, threatening to murder my child if I kill myself, or if I even look at him wrong. And don't pleasure me? And, and don't pleasure him, right? Because that was the insinuation. Oh yeah. And then you know, she also has to give him children, have sex with a guy, this insane brother of hers. It's a dream, a frightful dream, life is. I would I would be plotting his murder a thousand times over. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be looking for allies or I'd just do it myself. Poison. I'd be getting it. I'd be setting traps around the palace. I'd be doing everything I could do. Take him out. But, you know, in real history, crazy people live for quite a while. People didn't just kill him. I mean, people did. People do get killed all the time in history, but I'm just saying. I mean, I don't know how Commodus actually died. And probably the story is mostly Hollywood. Yeah, I think it's but... bits and pieces, like you were saying before, of various stories, historical inaccuracies abound yeah but it's, a, it's i think it's a well-told story i had a lot of fun with it i mean there's a reason it's, it's pretty much a classic the yeah, visual so, effects don't quite hold up but the acting is all really good yeah and there's an interesting note about the acting in that similar to many of the m- movies we've talked about recently they didn't have the script fully vetted out or or really down and i guess this is where russell crowe got his reputation for being difficult to work with because mm. they were still writing his lines on set so he didn't even have any lines to prepare for. And wow. so he was very flustered by this. Now he, of course- As any normal human being would be. Right, right. And he, and he won uh, an Academy Award as a result of his performance here. But it's yeah. just interesting that a, a huge production like this goes this far to where they're, they're writing the lines on set the day of to record them. Yeah, it's just amazing. I mean, I realize some filmmaking is flying by the seat of your pants because there's a lot of rewrites that happen. And there are a lot of producers that come on, you know, you run out of money and you bring in another producer. And then the producer, that new producer has ideas. And so then you have to make changes. And I can imagine there being some rewrites. But if you're coming up with dialogue on the spot day of on a repeated constant, you know, basis throughout the shooting, that's that's got to be aggravating because as an actor, you you definitely need time to rehearse and prepare. And that's, you know, you need time for ideas to germinate in your brain. You can workshop, you know, a scene with other actors and you can do the same scene, you know, 10 times, 20 times. And they'll all be different. Every single time you do that scene, it'll be different because you'll think of a different thing to do. You'll come up with a new flourish of movement or maybe you'll, you know, stand up dramatically during while you say one line instead of saying it calmly and demurely. You know, there's any number of ways that you could, you know, just bring a whole new life to a scene and in, you know, in total in a movie by having uh, time to prepare and time to work on scenes and dialogue with your fellow performers. So apparently Crow is just such a boss in the acting department that he was still able to pull it out. Yeah, he did a good job. Give us a pretty solid performance here. Well acted. And Commodus is fantastic creep. He's really good. Uh, Dumbledore was good. Dumbledore, I guess. Um, yeah, the lady didn't have as much to do, but she still did a good job. The senators were, you know, kind of smarmy politician types, but there weren't that many actors, you know, main actor guys in the movie. It's really kind of a small cast in the, with a ton of, you know, extras. Yeah. For a sweeping epic. Yeah. There's probably only what a, a dozen or so people with lines really. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So, um, 
Let's uh, start to wind this down because we're getting low on time. But before we get into our final summary and review, I wanted to ask you about the the final act where mm. Commodus, as a result of Maximus having the crowd, having won the crowd, you know, are, are you not entertained? That whole thing. Uh, he knew that the only way to kill Maximus was to have it be a public display of them dueling or fighting each other. But of course, he poisoned Maximus prior to the uh, to the combat. So a bit of a bit of a cheat there. And Maximus is like stumbling around and yet is still able to kill Commodus and fulfill his his desires, his destiny. Indeed. I felt like you were going to ask a question there. Well, OK, here is a question. Do you think that maybe he fought him a bit too soon if he'd waited just another five minutes? <laughs> Give it time, Commodus. Wait for that poison to work its way into the veins. Um, well, I thought that the whole Commodus fighting Maximus thing was a pure Hollywood type of thing. I I don't see ever a, a, an emperor, you know, personally killing somebody that he wants executed. And throughout history, emperors just go, take him away, take his head off, and I'm done with it. Um, I know it works for this story because then the hero gets a chance to, you know, blah, 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 finish his arc and kill the bad guy and stuff. But in real life, in real life, Maximus is dead. Commodus sits on the throne another 20 years or another five years before his sister kills him. And then we move on to the next crappy emperor and the next crappy emperor and the next crappy emperor until Rome falls. But in this movie, yeah, I didn't really I didn't really buy the whole Commodus actually wanting to fight Maximus. I mean, they set it up earlier in the movie that Commodus was a bit of a stud with swords and he fought, you know, a whole bunch of people and he's good at actually fighting. But uh, yeah, the idea that he's actually going to go toe to toe with this guy who was literally slaughtered, you know, dozens of people, probably hundreds in his life. And he's just like the world's most amazing tactician and fighter, even injured and poisoned. Yeah, seems like a bit of a risk, even for a crazy person like Commodus. But, you know, that's OK. That's it's. it's it's not a perfect movie in my estimation, but it's it's a really fun ride, and it's deserving the uh, reputation that it has, I think. It sounds like you've gotten into final summary and review territory already, sir. Yeah, I know we're out of running a long time, so I thought I'd just kind of ease into it. Just slide it in? Just slide it in like a, like a knife to the ribs, like a poisoned knife to the ribs. All right, so I'll interrupt you just for a moment and ask you if you bought the turn from the pivotal character, Quintus. Yeah, so Quintus, you're talking about when Commodus asks for a sword, and Quintus is like, don't give him one. Right, yeah, he orders the men to not give him a sword. Meanwhile, every other instance of Quintus prior in the film is just following orders. Yeah, he's totally a lapdog the rest of the time. And then all of a sudden, at this pivotal moment, he decides to, what, he doesn't want Commodus to win? Does he, what What did he expect? I mean, if, if, if Commodus kills maximus and wins that's a death sentence right i mean you're you're asking to get murdered um but we ne were never treated to a scene where quintus you know really questions commodus or really thinks about oh my god what am i doing with my life he's the, he really is a piece of shit i need to change my ways we need to get rid of this commodus guy maybe if there had been maybe if uh, commodus's sister had been like yo quintus or if he had gone to the sister and been like yo yeah commodus he's no good we're he's gotta get go rid of him. Yeah, he's got to go. But we didn't get any of those scenes. So it is really sudden and strange that Quintus all of a sudden has some weird sense of honor that this is a duel to the death and we can't interfere. Since, I mean, when has that been the case? You just watched him stab Maximus with a knife in the ribs. Poison tipped. Poison tipped and you covered up the wound. So how... What? Uh, maybe he sensed his his moment. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't. I did not buy that. I you know th that whole last scene is just kind of a Hollywood rush. Clean up this these this thread and and we'll we'll wrap up this movie and call it good. Um, it already is fairly long movie. Uh, I tell you, watching it, I thought I I was giving two hours to finish the movie and then it just kept going and going and I'm like, oh yeah, this this is actually quite long. Yeah, almost three hours. Uh, and, and you go ahead and, and finish your, your summary and review and give your rating, and then I'll do mine. But yeah, super long. Um, and surprisingly, in, in a way, because if you think back on it, it's like not a whole lot really, there's not a whole lot of scenes here, really, for that type of length. Yeah, there's a lot of subplots that probably could have been cut. I don't know. I mean, there's the whole Proximo kind of subplot. And then there's, of course, the sister subplot. But I don't know how satisfying those are. 
ultimately did they justify the length for me yeah probably um i don't think it's a perfect movie but it's enough of a good movie uh, this is back at the time when russell crowe was really at the height of his powers you know i don't know if master and commander came out after this or yeah, slightly before it was it after yeah this was his big this, break yeah this is him like really stepping into the reins of world's greatest actor and making all kinds of money and good for him because i really did enjoy his his acting i think he's really strong um I don't know if he's got the most range, but he does do some comedy. Um, I don't know if we've ever talked about, I think, The Nice Guys. That was really good. It was only a couple of years ago. Um, but yeah, so I typically enjoy Russell Crowe uh, as an actor, and I think he's really strong in this. And uh, Joaquin Phoenix is fantastic. Um, you can't help but hate the guy and just think he's such a creep. I mean, I, you can't watch this movie and not feel physically revulsed by Commodus. <laughs> everything he does and yet he you know it's fairly believable i mean he's not just evil for evil's sake he's a damaged human being who was never taught to be a good human being and he's a product of his environment for the most part and then he's probably also crazy with the whole lead poisoning who knows but uh he does a great job and um, it's amazing that the script is as good as it is and that the story is as cohesive as it is for being worked on up to the last minute so um for my final number i'm gonna give gladiator Starring Russell Crowe. Uh, 8.2. Really good. Really, really good movie. Not perfect, but uh, re highly recommended. You are merciful. I am. Am I not? All right. So on my signal, I'm going to unleash hell. Uh, this movie did not age very well. I, I agree with you that the performances are strong, and Joaquin Phoenix especially. I mean, you're right. Loathsome is, is the right term for that guy. Uh, and it's also, um, you know, Russell Crowe, very strong. But there was so much, like, kinetic action in the fighting scenes like so close up you can't really see anything about what's going on and then there's all these like trippy super fisheye off color you know reversed uh shots that it just kind of felt messy and sloppy to me and i feel really bad you know criticizing <clears throat> ridley scott who's like a great great director but it just didn't seem um I, the effect wasn't there for me you know it it, it aged very poorly and you you also add in the uh, digital effects and the um, you know the back lighting effect of Commodus uh, overlooking Rome in the sunset. I mean, it just totally looks like worse than the Weather Girl level of blue screen green screen effect. But overall, it's still an interesting and entertaining story. And I think that when I first saw it back when it came out two thousand two thousand one that time period, I was probably more blown away by it. But still, you know, a decent movie. Still a well-told story despite the issues with the script not being complete until the end. But perhaps that helped to spur Russell Crowe into giving the performance that he did. So I still think it's it's a good movie. But I'm going to be much lower, and I'm going to go with a 6.5 on this guy. Wow. Well, I think I think this 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 shows how much of a sucker I am for a, a revenge story. Um, I tend to give them at least a point or two higher just for that fact. And this is a this is a pretty good one. Well, you're even not... if the ultimate revenge at the end is kind of wonky. Yeah, and you're not wrong. You know, I mean, death smiles at us all, and all a man can do is smile back. That's right. But generally, pretty good. Generally, and I didn't mean to like dog on the movie too much at the end. There, it was entertaining. I was entertained. Good. Yeah, I, I, I don't think you can watch this movie and not be entertained. It's a fairly human story, you know, of a guy who just wants to go home and be with his family. I think so many people can identify with that. And then here's this asshole Commodus who, you know, gets in the way of that and murders his family. Yeah. And so, yeah, go ape shit on his ass. I will say that the, the fighting isn't as impressive after watching uh, like 300 and the series Spartacus, where the fighting is far more gruesome and uh, explicit, like more um, visceral. Yeah, it's like. You really feel it, you know. I mean, they're they're showing severed shit happening. You see it a little bit here in Gladiator, like a guy's mm -hmm. arm gets cut off and a guy's head gets cut off. But the shots, the action shots, are so tight, and the the sword swinging action is like kind of, I don't know, like rehearsal speed, if you will. I don't know. It just didn't. I didn't have that tangible feel of oh, they're they're actually fighting versus what you see in Three Hundred, where there's you know splatters of blood and all these digital effects and more gruesome shit. It just seems a little bit more um, yeah. polished in a way. Well, yeah, well, 300 is very cranked up, you know, it's like real action cranked up and that's all, you know, comic book stylized 
I mean, I haven't seen Spartacus, but I, you know, there's a lot more freedom you can do with, you know, special effects when you can just swing a, a, a computerized sword at a, at a person and then, you know, lop off, a, you know, digitally erase the guy's head and lop off a computerized CGI head. It's, uh, you know, it's a little more easy to do instead yeah. of back in the day when you actually had to do shit for real. It seems like um, we talked about this a little bit, but like the, the special effects of the year 2000 or 99, 98, when this was, you know, being created, um, really was almost archaic as compared to what can be done today. And that was... Yeah, you're only, you're only like four years out of Jurassic Park, so CGI is still in its infancy. Yeah, and it's it's also surprising when we did the Cars episode that they were saying, like, to get the reflections right, they had, you know, to have these supercomputers and they were creating new software and it was like so bleeding edge. And I'm just like, my kids watch this kind of shit on TV all the time, you know, <laughs> like these kinds of shows. It doesn't seem like it's that baller, you know, but that was because Cars... They they created that technology and they were they were trailblazing it. You know, they were like customizing it, creating it for their own purposes and incurring all yeah. of the research and development costs. Absolutely. And yeah, now Pixar was it's really available. The envelope. Yeah. So it's like the same with, you know, it's the capitalist model, right? Right. The they're the, paying the 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 bleeding edge price. Right. The early adopters. It, the early adopters. And then everybody else gets it for, you know, 50 bucks a couple of years later. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like, you know. When everyone complains about, oh, it's only for the rich. Well, now, just wait. You know, like a cell phone was for the rich 20 years ago or 25 mm-hmm. years ago. You know, it's, yeah, it's, flat a Zach Morris, TV was for the rich. A Zach Morris yeah. cell phone was like two grand and came in a backpack. <laughs> yeah. You know, and now they're giving them away. Anyway. But anyway, so this is basically the story of a general who became a slave, a slave who became a gladiator, and a gladiator who defied an emperor. And we're going to have to leave it there. On The Last Nighters, this is episode 31. You can find the show notes and more at lastnighters.com slash 31. Also at the Launchpad Media, where they're always throwing new ideas in your direction. They've got tons of exclusive shows and content coming out every day. So check that out at thelaunchpadmedia.com. Oh, Robert, one other thing I wanted to remind everyone is that we've been doing uh, a series with Liberty Weekly discussing the Netflix series Wild Wild Country, and it's been going really well. We've been having guest hosts. The most recent one we had was with Peaceful Treason, and those are a great group of guys. So if anyone's interested in checking that out, go to libertyweekly.net slash WWC. So thank you for joining us. And Robert, if you want to say a final word before we say goodnight. Thanks for sticking through us with this one. Come back for the next episode. We're going to get deep into World War II. The anniversary of the dropping of the bomb at Hiroshima and Nagasaki is coming up. And we're going to take it pretty dang serious. So, uh, But it's going to be a really interesting discussion. We're going to get into all kinds of history and cultural effects and just aggression versus defense and all kinds of tangled issues on the next episode. So stick with us for that. Yeah, and that's going to be on the anime film Barefoot Gen, which you can find on YouTube. So if you're interested, give that a watch before you join us next week where we will discuss it. And uh, the anniversary of of the bombs being dropped is August the 6th. So that's coming up right around the corner here. Uh, But we will be talking about it next week on The Last Nighters. So thank you guys again for joining us. And uh, I'll say goodnight from last night.